Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marks and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome, everybody, to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is episode number 125, and my guest this week is memoirist Taryn Spates. Now, uh, listen, listeners, I'm going to pull back the curtain just a little bit for you and give you a little insight into my process and how I how I produce an episode of this podcast. Generally, what I do is I will I'll interview my guest and I'll record it and then I will go backwards and I'll record an introduction and I'll use the conversation that I had with my guest as uh basically to inform the introduction. But to, uh, today, uh, just to just to shake things up a little bit and <clears throat> do things a little bit differently, not that uh, uh, I meant to clear my throat in the introduction, but, you know, whatever. Uh, it's, a, it's a live mic. I can't do much about that. I mean, I guess I could edit it, it out, but uh, who has time for that? I'm about, to ta- I'm about to talk to Taryn Spates, so I've got to keep this moving. So what I'm actually doing is I'm going to record a, uh, an intro to my interview with Taryn Spates before I've actually had the opportunity to talk to her. So right now, as I sit here talking to you guys, I have never in my life had a conversation with Taryn Spates. It's all, it's all going to be brand new in, in, just a, in just a few minutes. So uh, in the meantime, uh, in order to uh, introduce the show, I can also give you some insight into how I prepare for my conversations. So uh, before I talk to a, a guest on the show, especially a, a guest who is an author like Taryn Spates, I like to do uh, as much research as I reasonably can. I like to try to learn about them ahead of time. And that way, the more I know about the guest, the better able I am to have a conversation with them. Uh, I can ask, you know, I can ask more uh, specific questions based around either I try to base my questions around things that I suspect uh, they'll be interested in because if the guest is, uh, if I can engage the guest in something they're excited about, then uh, then it generally leads into a better discussion. Uh, I also look for things that uh, that I'm that, that I'm excited about, that I would like to know about, and things that I can sort of you know dig into and and find out about. And of course, there's always uh, I always leave open the uh, the wild card opportunity that um, that something will be discovered during the conversation that I did not learn in my research, and then we can just take that road wherever it takes us. So uh, here we go. So I'm, what I'll do uh, in preparation uh, while you guys are listening is I will read you uh, Taryn's um, her bio, which is on her website TarynSpates.com. That's T-A-R-Y-N-S-P-A-T-E-S dot com. TarynSpates.com. So here's her bio. Taryn is a writer and runner who lives for storytelling and adventure. She is a daughter, sister, wife, stepmother, and California native currently living in the majestic San Fernando Valley. Taryn graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in film studies from the University of Colorado at Boulder then went on to pursue a career in visual effects film and television production. Uh, 
She is an Emmy Award winner and was voted coolest RA, I'm sorry, coolest RA by her residence in Darley North during her junior year in college. She is equally proud of both awards. Taryn is a European marathon champion, a vegetarian, and mother of two gorgeous dogs, Guinness and Blueberry Wheat. She loves to read and can't wait to be read by all of you. Thank you. That was her saying thank you, not me. But also, thank you for uh, for listening. So all of that sounds fascinating. So now, as I prepare for my conversation with Taryn Spates, just, just looking at her bio, uh, a, a few things that stand out. Obviously, she is an Emmy Award winner. So, you know, wow, that's very impressive. I would love to know more about that. She is a marathon runner. Uh, which is also what her what her book is about. So, you know, spoiler, I've, I've already done some research before this conversation. But, you know, it doesn't mean that I can't learn a few things while I sit here and talk to you guys as I uh, prepare for my conversation with Taryn, which, uh, again, just coming up in uh, in just a few minutes. So uh, her book, the her, her debut book, it's called 35 by 35, A Runner's Quest, and uh, let's see here. Let me find the, the, the synopsis for the book for you. Here, here you go. Running 26.2 miles or more can be daunting for many, but it is magical for Taryn Spates. In 35 by 35, A Runner's Quest, Spates takes us on her journey from her first inspiration through her greatest triumph, sharing the peaks and valleys she experiences as she grows from a young college graduate to a parent and professional in the entertainment industry while maintaining her true identity as a marathon runner. Spates' story is funny, heartfelt, and inspiring. She captures every nuance and emotion experienced through a marathon race and the marathon of life. Right, so there you go. Wonderful. I love memoirs, and uh, and I and I've had some of my best conversations on this on this podcast talking to memoirists. So uh, I look forward to adding Terrence Bates to a to a to, to the illustrious list of memoirists that I've had on this show. Uh, also, you know, so so long as we're here, let's go ahead and um, I, I'm going to read a little bit from the from the first uh, page or so of, of Taryn's book. So you guys, and I guess, frankly, myself, we can kind of acquaint ourselves with, uh, with Taryn's voice uh, going into this conversation. So this is uh, the beginning of, uh, of Chapter 1. It's called uh, Marathon Number 1, San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon 2001, Becoming a Grown-Up. One of my best friends and former college roommate, Annie, asked me recently what made me start running marathons. She did not remember me being much of a runner at all in college. I was a bit taken aback by that question because I've always considered myself a runner. But then I remembered my alcohol-infused frame of mind in college. Even though I did run and worked out at the gym, I was far from the runner I was in high school and light years away from the runner I would become. Still, to answer Annie's question... I started running marathons because of my friend, Hillary. Hillary was another of our roommates and was a strong and consistent runner all throughout high school and college. She would run at least one hour every day, no matter what. If it was snowing, if she was hungover, if she was cramming for an exam, it didn't matter. She ran every single day. That said, stepping up to the marathon was a big deal, even for her. She never missed her needful long runs or all of the ones in between and was ready to roll on race day. It was cold and drizzly on race morning, but the leaves were blazing bright orange and danced across the Denver streets as all of my roommates piled out of our car partially asleep and still slightly drunk from the night before. 
We saw Hillary run past us screaming with glee, looking flushed and sweaty, but the happiest I'd ever seen her. Suddenly, something clicked inside me. The rest of the morning was a bit foggy as I was battling a beast of a hangover, but watching and cheering for Hillary as she ran toward the finish line, smiling wide even though she was drenched from the rain, I vowed to run a marathon one day too. Thanks, Hill. I ran my first marathon on June 3rd, 2001. About a week before the race, I was dressed in my Titanica costume, uh, putting on a spectacle for many friends and possibly a few random strangers off the street, as my roommates and I hosted another evening of Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. If you are a child of the 80s, you know exactly what this is, and I am proud to say that we represented loud and proud every time we suited up and took it to the living room floor. Okay, listeners, this is me, Martin, talking. I'm not reading from Terrence's book anymore. I have to stop here for a couple of reasons. First of all, holy shit. See, this is why it's good to do research. Uh, Taryn was, uh, I, 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 can, I can only take this to mean she wrestled in Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. She says if you're a child of the 80s, which I am, so certainly I know what Glow is. But also, uh, those of you who are my most loyal listeners, you all know that I have a, 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 a borderline borderline obsession with professional wrestling. I mean, it's waned since I was a since I was a kid and a teenager when when I was very much when all I could think about was wrestling. Um but especially as a kid when all I wanted to do was was watch wrestling and dream about being a professional wrestler. Uh amongst the amongst the many corners I would find myself in on a Saturday afternoon was was watching watching Glow on television. I forget what channel it came on when I was a kid, maybe channel 13 or channel 5. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Uh, I absolutely know what Glow is, and I loved Glow. Um, right off the top of my head, I can't, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Well, you know what? I remember there was a tag team called Hollywood and Vine, but uh, that's all I can remember right this very second. Um, so yeah, so now, again, giving you guys a peek behind the curtain, right there, I would love to find out more about uh about Taryn and uh, Terrence Bates involvement with with the gorgeous ladies of wrestling um so so that will now be added to my um uh to to, to my research in terms of the conversation that I that I will have with Taryn in just a few minutes now uh, so long as uh, so long as we're still here and uh, and I haven't begun my conversation with Taryn yet I'd like to uh, let you guys know that Taryn's book, 35 by 35, is available on Amazon.com. And, uh, and Taryn, she was nice enough, uh, generous enough to send me a copy of her book, and she signed it, which was very lovely of her. And she sent me a very nice note as well, so you know, it was very, very nice. Um, but if you would like a copy of Taryn's book, like I now own a copy of Taryn's book, you can get it on Amazon.com. But before you go to Amazon.com, Please first go to the, to the official website of this podcast, which you'll find at martinlestrapsshow.com. Once you're there, go to the shop page. When you're on the shop page, click on the Amazon banner, and that's it. That's all you got to do. Now you could do all the shopping you were otherwise going to do, including getting yourself a copy of Terrence Spate's debut memoir, 35 by 35. And because you went through the official website of this podcast, Amazon, in turn, will kick a few pennies back our way. And then we get to take those pennies and reinvest them into the show, which allows us here at the Marginless Trap Show Podcast Hour to make this show as good as we possibly can, which is precisely what we strive to do week after week after week. 
Uh, also, uh, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on iTunes. It is absolutely free, and it's my pleasure to do this show and make it free for you. Uh, it's also how Amazon helps us out, you know, because you guys do your shopping through the website, Amazon kicks back some pennies. A big thing that happens is it allows us to keep the show free, which is what I intend to do for um, really uh, forever unless something crazy changes down the line. Um, so go to, go to iTunes, subscribe. It's totally free. But if you're not an iTunes listener, that's okay. You can still catch the show on Stitcher Radio, which you'll find at Stitcher.com. And if neither one of those options does it for you, then you can always listen the old-fashioned way by going to the official website, martinlestrapshow.com, where all 125 episodes of this podcast are available. And, uh, and, and uh, next week... Episode 126 will be available, and the week after that, 127, and so on and so forth. And you can kind of see how the pattern unfolds. So, uh, so there you have it, a little, a little peek behind the curtains of, of uh, how I like to prepare for a conversation on this podcast with a guest. And in this case, my guest for episode number 125, again, is marathon runner and uh, memoirist Terrence Bates, and um, as best as I could tell, a uh, professional wrestler, which, listen, if I, I mean, it's going to take a, a, a Herculean effort on my part not to make the entire episode about professional wrestling. I won't do it, but just know every second that I'm not talking to Taryn about professional wrestling, um, it is tearing me up inside. So, 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 you know, when I do talk about it, we'll see uh, just how much restraint I can apply during that part of the conversation. So, all right. Uh, listen, I'm looking at the clock. Uh, my conversation with Taryn is just literally, I, it's probably, I don't know, one or two minutes away. So let me wrap this part up and get myself ready to talk to, uh, to my, my, my future, my future friend, right? Cause I, it's good to be optimistic, right? Uh, so if that all sounds good to you, then, uh, then here is my conversation with marathon runner, professional wrestler, Emmy Award winner and memoirist, Taryn Spates. Um, well, I grew up in Southern California. Um, originally, my, my parents uh, are divorced. So I, my, uh, uh, I was born in Palos Verdes, California, which is just you know near Torrance. And, um, and then my parents divorced when I was about six. And so we moved out to Claremont, moved out to Claremont, California, um, with my mom. And so I, I pretty much consider Claremont more of where I, I grew up in my full adolescence because I started uh, third grade there. So all of elementary school and then junior high and high school. And um, uh, we would go and I visit my dad on the weekends and all that. But pretty much um, I would say that I grew up in Claremont. So uh, but uh, definitely Southern California which is um, to both Palos Verdes and Claremont or our small little suburbs of Los Angeles, so um, of the main hub. So I was sort of in the midst of L.A., but definitely outside on the bubbles. And Claremont itself is a really special town because it's a, it's a college town, and it's a very, very sort of old-school Americana. Um, like, for instance, this weekend is Fourth of July, and they just do it up on Fourth of July. There's a, you know, there's a... Uh, kind of a carnival all day and then there's a parade in the afternoon and fireworks at night and it's really just a fantastic uh town to grow up in and very much you know grounded you know smart um you know scholastic you know professor type liberal environment um which was really really nice to grow up in 
and uh, and then College Verde is also a beautiful place to live. Um, visited my dad there, and uh, and spent some summer there, uh, summers there when I was in college, um, and that's right on the ocean. So it definitely had pretty much the best of both worlds <laughs> in Los Angeles like growing up. Sounds like yeah, yeah. yeah. I I love. Claremont. I grew up about. Uh, I think I grew. I, well, I grew up in Rancho Cucamonga, so about like ten, mm. fifteen minutes away from from Claremont, and mm. uh, and and I really loved it. Like you, it's it's a it's a really really lovely college town. It almost feels like it. It almost, especially because it's you know, uh, you know, like like it. It almost feels like it doesn't quite fit in the Inland Empire. It almost feels like uh, just a hidden little gem of a city. And I would visit it all the time exactly. when I. When I was still, because I, I recently, if like you know, back in uh, at the end of 2015, I moved to to Las Vegas. But before I moved, I was in Claremont all the time, and you know, either just uh, going going to lunch there or uh, going to the movies there because they have the uh, art house theater, the uh, Lemley's mm. Art House Theater, or right. uh, just any number of uh, bookstores or comic book shops. And it just it just felt it was like even though I didn't live there, I would I, I loved just being there. So I I envy that I envy that you actually got to grow up there. Yes, yes. Good old Rhino Records and just an awesome, really a neat, neat jewel of a town. So oh yeah, yeah. Rhino really, Records. Really I, I I sold many CDs there when I needed some money yeah. for uh, gas or food. <laughs> And uh, right. and actually, right next door to it's the uh, the video store. I think it's Video Paradiso or something like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I sold many DVDs there when I needed money for. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I think I I think I once, uh, I think I, I think I paid for um, a traffic ticket by selling D- <laughs> DVDs to <laughs> to cinema. So so I've got my own history with with uh, with Claremont as well. But again, I yeah. that's that's awesome. What was it, uh, well, not what was it like, but. Um, uh, especially for somebody who would ultimately one day be destined to to become a, a writer, did you find that there were uh, were you, were you influenced by Claremont, especially because it is a very sort of uh, a collegiate town with college students and professors and books and and just learning in the air? You know, I would say probably. Um, you know, my my mom after my mom is my ultimate hero, and she um, after my parents divorced, she went back to school. And I uh, went to Fisher's College first for two years and then uh, went to Laverne to get her teaching credential. And um, so I think at that young age, being around, you know, an adult going back to school full bore and, and pursuing English, that really sort of got me going. And I think being inspired in that sense. And I also being I'm the youngest of uh, four siblings. And so my imagination was always, uh, you know, kind of running, running wild. And I think just being around that and being in, a, in an environment where, Learning was encouraged, and um, you know that was something that I think was was always really instilled in me. And then I had some great teachers very early on in life. And my, my third grade teacher was challenging. She was really sort of, you know pretty pretty tough, but she had us reading a lot. And then uh, again in, in the fifth grade, I had a teacher who uh, was just phenomenal and had us reading you know minimum twenty five pages every night. Uh, you know, oh, wow. at, at 10 years old. And so, and that was something that really got me going and, and, and you know, found amazing authors, and, you know, like Roald Dahl and of course, you know, Judy Bloom and, you know, all of those authors as, as, a, as a kid that I think just really opened my eyes and just said, wow, this is something that, you know, I'd love to do or like maybe, you know, I could do this. And so I, I, you know, been writing little screenplays and little plays and poems and all that kind of stuff ever since I can remember. And I don't know if they were all that amazing, but they were definitely, <laughs> they were definitely done and I always sort of considered myself you know a writer and um, whether or not anyone wanted to read it that was fine because that was <laughs> who I really was and that's all that mattered to me so 
That's awesome. And yeah. even as you were talking, it, um, it didn't even, I, I guess maybe on some level it occurred to me, but it didn't even really occur to me that, that, uh, that, you know, that because you did grow up in a college town that just sort of just purely by the proximity of it, you were just always kind of aware of college and that had to have just, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, did it make colleges feel inevitable on some level? Cause not for not everybody, that's not always the case. No, you know, it's, it, it's funny. Um, it certainly did. And I think that also, since I'm the youngest, my, my older brother is seven years older than me. So 10 years old, you know, our, he was, uh, you know, looking into it, you know, admissions to go into college himself. And so, um, from seven years old on, I, excuse me, from 10 years old on, I had, you know, college brochures flooded in my house. And so <laughs> I always sort of had that in the back of my mind. And it's interesting because, um, cut to today, present day, um, I have my stepdaughter who is, she's right now, you know, pursuing college, but, she's an only child. And so she hadn't had that. So it's very interesting. And I think that the fact that I did grow up with that, you know, sort of always knowing that, you know, going to college was just going to happen one way or the other um, was, was fantastic. And just to know that I definitely had a future in that. And um, it was really, really neat to to be around that and to just, um, you know, going to to Bridges Auditorium and being around that environment um, at a young age, I think was really powerful and, and definitely made it made a difference whether or not I, you know, believe it then or, um, it definitely had an impact. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I also, yeah. When I, when I was growing up, I grew up, uh, near Chafee college, which is the local community mm-hmm. college in Rancho Cucamonga. I probably grew up like five, not even 10 minutes away. I would say five, six minutes away from the school and, and Rancho Cucamonga, it, it's by no means a, a college town, but even just growing up, close to a college that was was influential on me to the to where and I when I when I graduated from high school uh or pretty much all the t- the whole time I was growing up um I didn't really think much about college I didn't really know uh I, I didn't I didn't know that I would that I would go to college um uh my I, I was the youngest of four and my 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 oldest sibling my brother Greg he spent a few semesters in college but it was never anything that he was too concerned about pursuing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my other two siblings probably just, you know, had a quick cup of coffee at, uh, at JP college, but it was never anything, you know, big that they plan on pursuing. Uh, my mom hadn't gone to college. My dad had done some, uh, some community college uh, when he was uh, younger. Um, so, so for me, there was, there was really no immediate uh, influences of anybody who um, in one way or another could, the, the, that I, so I mean that I saw go to college. There was certainly encouragement. Mm-hmm. You know, my my parents, you know, saw the benefit of it, and so they it would kind of come up from mm-hmm. time to time. But uh, but I definitely uh, I, I can only imagine how much how much more impactful it is to sort of grow up in a college town and have people who went to college and sort of see that and just know, oh yeah, that's that's gonna sort of be be my path. I eventually went to college, but even when I went to college, um, there was the uh, uh, I. I mean, I I went to Chapey College, and that's where I started. But even when I started, mm-hmm. there was always this feeling of like, well, I'm not gonna finish because who finishes college? I've never met anybody right. who, who finished yeah. college. So, so I think that's 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 so awesome that the that not only did you have that influence, but uh, but hopefully, I, I hopefully it sounds like your your stepdaughter also in some form or fashion can have a, a similar uh, influence as, as she uh, gets ready to go. Yes, yes, I hope so. Now, in your so. case, you, you, uh, when you did go to college, 
you ultimately didn't go to university in uh, in Southern California, did you? No, I did not. That was uh, that was never anything I wanted to do. Was to uh, <laughs> stay was to stay here. Um, I, I fortunately, you know, as I said, because school was really encouraged um, and pretty much a must in my family to go to go to college. Uh, I was really encouraged to get out of state, go out of state, and to really, you know, experience life. And um, and so I, I I applied to one school in California. I applied to Sonoma State. And then I didn't take any, I didn't apply to any UCs because A, I didn't want to go to any. And at the time, um, you had to take the SAT too. And I did not want to do that. So I just said, listen, I'm not going to even go. Even if I got in, I'm not going to go. So um, I was so fortunate and I, and I wanted to go. Uh, I looked at schools pretty much all around like the, um, you know, the West, Northwest and some schools in, in uh, like Lewis and Clark and things like that. But, uh, and I always figured I'd go to a smaller school. So I went on a college tour um, fall of my senior year with my dad and my stepmom, and we went to uh, Colorado College and the Air Force Academy, and then also into um, University of Colorado at Boulder. And my oldest stepbrother went to Boulder, um, and I had never visited before, and I never even thought about it. I just said, this, it's a huge school. It's just so not for me. Like, I know I'm not going to like it. And when we were driving up from Colorado Springs up the 36 uh, uh, freeway, you come over this hill, and, and you just see the flat irons which are, you know, is the mountain range right uh, above Boulder. And literally, it was like an out-of-body experience. I mean, my heart just stopped, and I just said, this is where I belong. Like, this is it for me. And when we drove around the town, we drove around Boulder and the campus a little bit, and the campus was just beautiful. Like, the buildings were all uh, brick buildings, and it just looked not at all like I pictured. It just didn't look like this huge, you know, crazy big school. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the next day, you know, we, we went on the tour, and I just said, okay, this is, by any means necessary, I need to just get into the school. And uh, I applied to a few others, but um, I ended up getting waitlisted at University of Colorado, and which was uh, I wasn't really too surprised about because I, I did all right in high school, but I, I certainly did not have you know a phenomenal GPA. So, but then when I got in, it was just like okay, that's it, and and it was by far the best decision I'd ever made, and found tremendous, tremendous, amazing friends in my freshman year in the dorm that I'm so close with. And, and then also they have, uh, the great thing about University of Colorado is um, they have a tremendous film program and not necessarily, um, you know, like a USC program, but, but a very, very special experimental film program. Um, there's a gentleman there who's unfortunately passed named Stan Brackage, who was just on the forefront and probably one of the most you know influential experimental filmmakers you know, in America, if not the world, and he was um, still teaching at the time and living in Boulder. So to study under him and study under some, uh, also uh, a professor named Bruce Kaywin, who was a phenomenal film history uh, teacher, I just had a great education when it came to uh, to, to filmmaking and, and to story. And I took, you know, English was, was sort of my, my emphasis also there. Um, but, but yeah, Colorado was a great choice for me. But I also knew that I would come back to L.A. because, I knew that I was going to, you know, pursue production and pursue film. And at the time, you know, I didn't know about Canada. <laughs> there wasn't all the production, runaway production. So I knew that I was going to come back to Los Angeles. But I was given the opportunity to go away to school, you know, by my parents. And I definitely took advantage of it and went away, and lived an amazing four years. But Southern California is certainly my home. And, and so that's where I've been ever since graduation. That it sounds it sounds like a really really charmed college experience, which uh, uh, I would I, I always wanted the experience of going away to school. I never I never got to have it, but I envy anybody who and, and I don't begrudge them either. Like, but I, I very much envy mm-hmm. anybody who has 
that experience. And at the University of Colorado, you got your Bachelor's of Arts degree in film studies, which you kind of alluded to, to studying film. But you also mm-hmm. mentioned that uh, the English, studying English was a bit of a, an emphasis, which um, for me, that, that sounds like the perfect combination of sort of studying film and English, because in my mind, they, they go very, very much uh, hand in hand. Uh, so, so when you were in school and you were studying film, you talked about, you know, knowing that you were going to go back to California and wanting to, you know, get into the world of, uh, of, of production. So what, what, what were some of your aspirations? Like, what did you imagine that you would do after school with your, uh, with your education in film? Um, it's really, it's a great question because I, I honestly had no idea. I mean, all I figured was that I would come back and be a production assistant, which is pretty much the first you know, the first stop, well, I guess really an intern would be, but a first stopping point uh, on a set. And, you know, you just, you just, you show up and you do whatever anyone needs you to do. And, um, but the funny thing was I had absolutely no connections in the film industry here. You know, my, my, my mom um, was an English teacher and my dad was in executive search and just you know, a business guy. Mm-hmm. So we just had no, I had no connections. And so um, coming home, uh, when I did graduate, I just figured, you know, I'll just hustle and just do whatever I can do. And I luckily, um, this is just hilarious, but it's so true. My stepmom, as I, I mentioned this in the book, this story in the book, my stepmom is quite the chatty Kathy. And uh, when I graduated from school, I ended up, I lived with my parents with my dad and my stepmom for a few months. And here I was, you know, July of 2001 at home, didn't know what I was going to do with this college degree in film. And my dad and my stepmom were on this uh, on this trip in Italy, and they met up with a young couple who were on their honeymoon. And my stepmom struck up a conversation with with the husband because he was reading a trade magazine, and ended up uh, they had a great little friendship. And she told him about me, and he said, "Well, you know what? When you get home, when we get home, like have her call me." And I did. And this guy's name was Anthony Reynolds, just a phenomenal human being. You know, he kept his word. And we met up one day, and he ended up giving me my first interview with my first job ever, and I got hired as a production assistant. And from there, um, I, I worked uh, also at some, you know, volunteered at some film festivals, at the AFI Film Festival, and also on other uh, small, small films, little independent films, just doing you know props or doing wardrobe or anything just to be on a set and mm. meet people. Um, and then, you know, everything led to another job. And uh, from the AFI Film Fest, uh, that little stint, which, again, I was volunteering, but I treated it like a job. I was there every day and just hustled. Um, I, met, I met a girl who got me my first job in television. And then uh, from there, uh, was a, a PA in TV and then moved on up to coordinating, which is sort of the next thing in production. And, um, and then ended up uh, kind of falling into visual effects, um, which was interesting because I really had no idea what the difference between 2D and 3D was in visual effects until like my first day on the job getting hired. <laughs> but um, but luckily I, I you know it was the first real job job and it was great and ever since then I've been in visual effects. Um, but uh, but that's also uh, you know just storytelling and that's sort of the main you know uh, crux of of wanting you know you have emphasis on as as. Uh, English in, in, in filmmaking, because I think that, you know, ultimately I wanted to always, you know, write my own screenplays and then just shoot everything and produce everything. And, uh, that's been sort of, you know, my goal, but, you know, for anything, you need to be able to come up with a solid story. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's kind of how I, I definitely wanted to marry those two, you know, have English and, and filmmaking uh, kind of go, go hand in hand. 
That's amazing. That's so amazing, especially how uh, for, from your parents meeting the the couple in Italy and how everything uh, uh, oh, yeah. kind of worked out, and then, and you know, getting that first break. Now, as far as uh, getting into visual effects, which is uh, which is not where I expected that story to go, but that's, that's very yeah. very cool. Um, uh, uh, 2D versus 3D. I, I'm only guessing, but I'll ask you to to sort of expand on it a little bit. Is it, is is 2D sort of kind of sort of maybe like computer digital effects? 3D maybe more practical effects, or how close am I? Yes, good good question. And it's funny you should say this because as a um, right now I'm I'm a visual effects producer and my my husband is a, is a supervisor, and so this is sort of my 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 goal in life these days is to is to get the word out between the difference between special effects and visual effects. So uh, uh, a 2D is basically a compositing. So that's really taking an image that is, uh, you know, already sort of created and just sort of putting it, placing it on top of another image uh, in the computer. 3D is actually creating a, a model of a character and anything in animation um, that you uh, that you create. And then from there, you take that image and then you composite. So it's sort of like 3D comes first. You take those elements and then they put them in a 2D and put them all together. And then that's what you see on the movie screen. And, um, you know, these days there's so many things about, you know, the movie had great special effects. And a special effect is is a, a wind machine blowing on a set and an actual practical effect. That's a special effect. Mm-hmm. Anything that's a visual effect is involved in the computers. Um, there's anything that's computer generated. So that's one thing that these days, like, no, those are special effects are people moving things on the, on the stage and, you know, having uh, more practical things. But a visual effect is all the booms and the, you know, all the monsters and that kind of stuff that, that happens uh, within the, uh, within the film. So yeah, my, my first day, I, I really, I didn't know the difference. Uh, okay. I know it's CGI, but what do you mean 2D and 3D? And quickly <laughs> I, I figured it out, but, uh, but it was uh, definitely, definitely out of my wheelhouse um, to come into that world. But, these days, it's also, again, you know, I think the visual effects have a great way of enhancing stories, and um, that's, that's really what I try to lean towards and, and, and try, to, try to use that for. That's it just purely by, by, by coincidence, because I, I, uh, one of the very first guests that I had on my show was actually on uh, episode 12 of the podcast. Uh, I interviewed a, a very, very nice man by the name of Jared Poyava. And he's actually um, uh, spent uh, the, the great majority of his career as a as a practical effects uh, uh, artist, and so he worked on uh, several movies. But uh, the 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 marquee movies that uh, most anybody would recognize is he was one of the uh, 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 visual effect artists on Terminator Two: Judgment Day, and uh, he also oh, worked yeah. on uh, Godzilla and several other movies that uh, I don't. I'm sure I didn't even have time to talk to him about. Uh, about everything, and so it's it's only because I talked to him that I even have a reference for what a practical effect is. Because otherwise, right. I wouldn't even know the difference. And so now I'm sitting here talking to you, and I, I just think I had no idea about this. You going into the conversation, yeah. so I'm so now my mind is kind of spinning about all the things that I want to know about. Yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, fun. It's- it's fun because I, I started, my first job was actually in miniatures, in model miniatures. And uh, these days you don't have much of that anymore. Pretty much it's all CG. But it's it's just amazing. I worked with the, the, the crew who did, you know, the original Independence Day and, and you know, blew up the um, oh, blew wow. up the White House and all that. And so, so to, to start off my career with that, where you really do are actually building these things and then shooting them in a way, you know, to have that perspective and in scale and all that. And then now over the years and everything is in, is purely 3D, but, um, but it's just amazing, you know, what, what, you know, what filmmakers go through to, to tell these stories and, and all the minds and 
bodies and hours behind it. It's just just been phenomenal. So in, in production as a producer, you know, we, we really just manage things and kind of move things along. So I've never actually created anything myself, um, which is why I'm so closely knit and tied to my writing is because that's that's the side of me that is constantly creating and can use, you know, can use that um you know, creativity side, whereas my, my work professional side is more of just kind of moving things along and making sure everybody knows what's going on and, and is happy and wants to work a lot. So, As far as uh, your, uh, your work as a producer, uh, do you work uh, primarily in film or television or, or, or both? Or uh, what, what are you generally, what kind of projects do you generally find yourself working on? Um, right now, I'm actually working at a at a facility, a post house, where um, we do mainly all of Tyler Perry's projects. Okay. So he is quite prolific, and he works in both uh, TV and film. So um, doing uh, doing both right now, actually working in, in in features and in television. And the main difference between the two, besides um, just you know length of a project or time, is uh, is is just how quickly things need to be turned around. So for television, uh, it's a much tighter timeline, and in film, you tend to have a little bit more time to work on things. So um, this in this in this particular job I'm in right now, it's nice because it's a little bit of everything, just sort of keeping things um, keeping things moving all the time. Yeah, and as you say, Tyler Perry, he's a, I, I swear every time I look up, he's got a new movie or TV show. So I'm sure it sounds like you're yeah. kept very very busy. Yeah. Uh, yes. So working in post production, um, how uh, do you does a uh, how say with, with a filmmaker producer like Tyler Perry, how um, hands on is the filmmaker generally as far as a uh, post production goes? Um, you know, a little bit. You know, he's he's a little bit different because um, it kind of depends again because there's there's some there's some directors that need to be that sit there all the time and are, and are, and are part of things um, on the post side and really want to make sure and look at the artists and have, um, have, you know, weekly meetings or even daily meetings. Um, but uh, he, he more or less uh, trusts the president of our company who's in charge of the, the look basically of the entire series and all of his things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of, um, a, a lot of things that, 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 uh, that we do and that he has sort of the final stamp on things. But uh, but every every director and, and and you know producer is different. They have you know different different shots they want to they want to put on it. With a with a Tyler Perry movie too, or or TV show for that matter, uh, like his stories are, are are very you know character and story driven. And I I certainly don't in my mind I don't connect them with with the special effects. So for a Tyler Perry project, what would be sort of a, an example of where a, a visual effect would would come into play? Yes, well, his, that's a, uh, a good point. His, his shows kind of go into the, fall into the category of invisible visual effects, okay. where basically you, you wouldn't know. You know, it's not like it's a, it's a creature coming at you or an alien falling in the sky. It's really just um, as far as their locations or where they're shooting. Um, if, you know, if they, uh, if, you know, let's say they're, they're, they shoot the show in Atlanta, but they need to be in New York. The story takes place in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, they would shoot shoot plates in New York and then they would shoot in Atlanta uh, against a green screen. And so we would then composite the backgrounds uh, of New York onto those green screens. And so the audience believes that actually they are in, in, um, in, in New York instead of Atlanta. So that's, that's mainly what, what those effects are. Um, it's a lot of sort of things that hopefully you wouldn't know. That's kind of the goal is that, you know, you won't know that it's a visual effect. <laughs> it just looks, that it just looks seamless and wonderful. So that's our goal. Very, very cool. Is it, is being a, a producer and a visual effects producer, is it, is it sort of, um, 
uh, a Monday through Friday, nine to five type job? Or what, uh, what, what does your life look like with a job like that? You know, uh, I'm actually uh, thrilled because in, in right now my, my schedule is it's Monday through Friday, um, but I work from about 1 p.m. to about 9.30 p.m. So I work on a swing shift because we have two shifts um, at our studio where we have a regular 8.30 to 5.30 crew, and then we have a 5.30 to 2 a.m. crew. So I basically come in midway of, of the day of the, of the day crew and kind of get, you know, get everybody you know, figured out what they've done and then kind of push everything through into the night crew. Um, so which, which, what helps, what I love it so much is that I have enough time in the morning to, I can do my training. Um, I can still, you know, do my training for my triathlons and my running events. And then also in the evening, it gets a little, gets a little quiet. And so I can do, I can do some writing, you know, later on and, um, kind of keep, keep sort of everything in going while I'm also there and keeping track of things. So, but that's a very unique position. Um, I've actually never had one like that before. So when it came along, I just said, yes, I will definitely do that. <laughs> that's great. Um, but a lot of times, most of the time, it's, it's a, it's a 10, 12, 14 hour job where you're just there all the time. Um, but luckily this studio is very well run and have a great team. And so I'm just thrilled to be a part of it, to be honest. That's awesome. Uh, so, so also though, um, uh, as far as that, well, 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 first of all, that sounds like a really, really, uh, ideal schedule, the way, the way that works out there where you can actually, like, as you said, uh, train for your triathlons and, and I suspect there'll be more marathons along the way, but then you can also, uh, you know, uh, get your, get, get your career in there. So that, that all sounds really ideal on top of, you know, growing up in Claremont. So things are just working out lovely at this point, uh, for, for Terrence Bates. Uh, but you also won you won uh, an Emmy Award, and I would love to know yes. all the details about that. Uh, don't spare any, please. Tell me all about that. Yes, well, that was actually so. In, uh, that was back in 2005 um, at this the first this, uh, facility I worked at called Digital Dimension, where we worked on um, it was for the Fox uh, Fox promotion for the Super Bowl. And so we had done this, uh, this beautiful sort of intro of all of these, uh, all these players kind of running through these, uh, digitally, you know, CG, uh, computer generated screens that they would shatter through and run through. And, um, uh, it was a really just a, you know, a, a team effort, a phenomenal experience with that. And then it, it played before the, I guess it was, yeah, the, the 2005 Super Bowl, uh, on Fox. And that was the year that I believe, um, it was the, uh, Patriots and Philadelphia and Patriots won, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but, uh, they, uh, they, they won for that. And so, and we ended up winning, um, the, the Emmy for that, for that, for that intro. So it was, it was quite, quite a, you know, an arduous, uh, experience coming up with the effect for these, um, for sort of these, these pillars that the players ran through. And it was just, just phenomenal. So again, my, my job on that job was to just to make sure that all of the artists, had all the notes that they needed and that everything was just running smoothly and on schedule and, and everybody had what they needed to, to do, do the job right. And luckily it was just a fantastic, fantastic finish. That's, that's amazing. Uh, and again, I think I, I probably forgot to mention it, but, uh, the, uh, the, the visual effects artist that I mentioned to you earlier, Jared Poyava, uh, the, the, the crew that he worked with, you know, they won uh, an Academy award for, uh, I believe it was Terminator two. And so now mm-hmm. here with the uh, Taryn Spates, I have uh, an Emmy award winner. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I, I feel like I have sort of an embarrassment of riches at this point in terms of the, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the guests who I've had the opportunity, uh, to talk to. So that's, uh, that's, that's pretty, pretty amazing. Now, now you also kind of uh, referenced the fact that, 
um, again, you you work in the world of, uh, of, of of visual effects, and while there there is a great deal of creativity that goes into that, uh, as a producer, you're generally sort of making things happen and moving things along, and while it is creative, um, it, uh, the, the impression I got is you you, you can't. Uh, you can't exercise your creativity as much as you'd like to, which is why, or not necessarily why, but certainly where your writing comes into play, because that's certainly going to be uh, the form where you get to completely, fully uh, engage and exercise your your creativity. Uh, and uh, which brings us to your your debut your debut book. It's a it's a memoir called Thirty Five by by Thirty Five. So uh, so tell uh, you know, tell the, the, the listeners uh, anything you'd like them to, to know about the book, and then we can spend some time talking about it. Yes, so um, it's called yeah, 35 by 35, A Runner's Quest. And the, um, uh, the title is uh, came about because of my, my idea to run 35 marathons by the time I turned 35. Mm-hmm. And I had actually... Um, some people say, oh, we're running marathons, you know, every year since you were born. Well, no, not exactly. <laughs> so what, uh, that would be amazing, but no. Um, my, uh, as I mentioned, growing up in Claremont, uh, and again, I come from a, a family of, of four children, and being the youngest, um, I was always, you know, I was always a tomboy growing up and wanted to do everything that my brothers did as well or better. And they were runners, and they were, ran cross-country in high school, and my oldest brother ran track, and my other brother uh, played baseball. And so uh, I started, you know, running, running in um, my freshman year of, of high school, and really was was much better at it than I than I thought I would be. Um, my freshman year, I, I was varsity, and that was phenomenal. Oh, wow. And then, um, and the, the coolest part about that was was I was a freshman, but my brother Peter was a senior, and so he was like the cool guy, captain on the team. And here I was, freshman, and the fact that I was doing well, and actually, a, a, you know, a varsity member, I was just like beside myself because he was the fastest runner on the team. And it was just a really, really cool experience. Um, cut to the following year where I, I uh, grew about three inches um, in between my freshman and sophomore <laughs> year of high school. And I slowed way down. And it was just, it was really, really a, a, a big bummer because I just hear I, 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 my, my identity, I thought I was a runner and, and then I just was slow all of a sudden. And so I, I kept running through high school, um, and then in college, you know, I, I worked out, I ran a little bit, but it certainly was not a, a huge focus. Um, and then I, one of my best friends in school in college was uh, was a real, was a big time runner, and she ended up training for uh, her first marathon her, her senior our senior year in, in school. And when we went to go cheer her on, um, it was just a life changing experience for me. And I just thought, you know, this is this is something I need to do and I want to do and I need to figure it out. And I, and at that point I'd been running maybe three miles every couple of days. I mean, I was not doing a lot of miles, but um, I switched things around the second half of my senior year and trained for it. And here I was also living in, in Boulder, Colorado, you know, in the winter spring months where it's snowing one day and it's hot the next and snowing. And so I was running in the, you know, the sleet and the, you know, running on ice and doing whatever I needed to do to get the starting line. And then when I, I ran my first race uh, two weeks after, I guess three weeks after I graduated from college. So it was a real unknown time. I mean, it was a really scary time in life because here I was, you know, I didn't have a job. I was just in limbo basically. And, uh, and it was completely transformative. I just, when I finished the race, I just thought, okay, if I can do this, I'm literally superhuman. What else, <laughs> what else can't I do? I mean, I, this is amazing. And, and, uh, so I knew that I would run another one, but, um, 
when I, after that, you know, I did start working and I didn't run another race, uh, for over a year. So that was, so in 2001, when I was 21, I ran my first one and, and the book is basically structured, um, every chapter is a marathon. So I start out, you know, with, with my experience with my first marathon and then, and then go from there. And it's pretty much how the story of how marathons have been the central theme, basically the central line of my adult life that everything that I've done since I've been 21 has basically been structured or, su- or surrounded around training for a marathon. Um, I've done some, you know, from 2000, 2003, I ran my third race uh, with my brothers, with my brother Peter up in San Francisco, and that was also a phenomenal race because I ran it pretty quickly. I dropped like 15 or 20 minutes from my first race, and my brother Tim, my oldest brother, was there, and he just was beside himself because he was, he ran marathons when he was in college and he just said, you know, if, if you can run a sub four marathon, like that's what real runners do. And here having his sort of adulation or was like all I needed in the world. I just said, okay, so that's amazing. And I was 23 at the time and I thought, okay, I'm going to qualify. My goal now is to qualify for Boston marathon by the time I'm 25. So that's sort of when you're a marathon runner, that's, that's the big carrot in the sky. That's the big goal is to qualify for Boston. And so that was, again, my goal for the next, I guess, you know, year and a half. And I ran three, you know, a few other races. And it took me a while. And on my seventh race, um, I qualified for Boston. And that was phenomenal. But kind of the story goes is that, you know, not every marathon is great. There's some that are awful. And when you're running a race that long, you know, you're going to have wonderful moments and you're going to have horrible moments. And you just have to just have to persevere. And that's really kind of just the story I think with life is that there's rough moments and there's great moments and you just have to keep going to get to either one of them and to make it to every one of them. And how I came uh, up with the idea for the 35 by 35 was um, I had started doing Ironman triathlons when I was um, about 28 and I I was, you know, I was married and, and uh, you know, a lot was happening and I figured um, I want to train and do my first, my first Ironman and I took the summer off of work uh, to train full time. And I thought after I finished the race, again, I had a similar experience uh, with my first marathon and thought, wow, I did much better than I thought I would. I'm going to throw in all my chips and try to be a professional triathlete. And so uh, there were some other things that were at play, but I ended up taking time off of work and just training full time to try to be a professional triathlete. And when it came down to it, I, I, I pursued, I, you know, I did about six other races or so. And um, I was pretty good. I was a pretty good age grouper, which is basically all the normal people who run and embrace these things. Mm-hmm. But I just wasn't that fast. I, I wasn't going to be a professional. I just and, and I also didn't have the time to, you know, really go off to Germany for eight weeks and train with a coach by myself. You know, I did have my stepdaughter was was you know young and, and I needed to be there for her and and also be there for you know for my husband. So I couldn't necessarily take that leap. So I had a bit of a. Um, it was a breakdown. I think it's safe to say when I was uh, 32 and I was, uh, it was the year 2012. And at that point I had run 21 uh, marathons wow. and I just thought, okay, I know that I'm not going to be a professional, um, a professional triathlete. So that's a huge thing that I've been pursuing that I sort of have to put aside and that's okay. But that was a big, big thing to, to swallow. But what is the one thing that truly makes me happy? And here I was, I was in a, in a cabin, my husband and I were camping and I just I just went out for a run and I was just running around this beautiful campsite and and just had again this feeling like this is truly where I am my best self and 
I'm not the best in the world, but this is something that I know I can do. And what can I do that's something a little bit different and special? So here I was 32 and a half at the time, and I'd run uh, 21 races. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to run 35 marathons by the time I turn 35. So what that meant is that I needed to run 14 marathons within two and a half years. <laughs> and so that's where things got, got pretty creative and fun. And, uh, and I told my husband, I was like, not only, and I'm going to do that, and then I'm also going to write a book about it. And, um, and again, that, cause I, I figured at that time, I wanted to bring it all together. I wanted to bring in my writing, connect my writing to my running, to my pursuit of, you know, just pursuing a goal and kind of sharing the message and, and utilizing something that really got me out of a, out of a tough time, out of, out of a tough moment of kind of a crisis of identity. And to me, that was running and writing. And so, and particularly running marathons, you know, marathons are just, they're just my, my sweet spot. I just, I love that race. I love that distance. And so I set out the next, you know, two and a half years, just plotting these certain races. And I began my blog at the time. And so my, my book is also sort of an expanded version of, of my blog, um, sort of an expanded and fleshed out version of, of that. Um, but, uh, and then ended up, you know, finishing, luckily, I mean, Spoiler alert! You know, I, I did make it, um, <laughs> thirty-five by thirty-five. But but the uh, uh, the book did did end on a on a bit of a fairy tale note that um, I, I would like to you know hopefully listeners will maybe go out and grab it because it is pretty fun how it ended. Um, but uh, but it was just a you know a phenomenal experience and and just to just to have a goal and set out and accomplish it you know whatever you know whatever happened was you know. It's a learning process, and it was just just phenomenal. Yeah, that's so amazing. I have so much respect for uh, for distance runners and marathon runners because because uh, I, I I'm not a runner by any stretch, but I tried it. But I tried it kind of sort of with a with a pretty fair understanding of of my of my limitations. Like I, I was I was a I was a, an athlete in high school, not a great athlete, but I was I was I was a high school wrestler, and so a lot of wrestling is oh. is endurance. So we did a lot of running. Um, and then, uh, but you know, years later when I was in, uh, when I was in graduate school, um, I decided to, to start running and I, and I had no immediate goals and I didn't exactly know the only real goal was, uh, I just wanted to feel healthier and feel like I was, I was investing more in my, in my, in my physical health. And so running seemed just like the, the most immediate thing you can do because you don't need a gym membership. You can just go outside and start running. So, uh, exactly. so in my case, I just started, I, I ran around the, the block and that by itself had my lungs feeling like they were on fire. And then a couple of days later, I think I ran two blocks. And then as I was little by little able to, to get to where I could run a little bit further, I, I kind of thought, you know, probably not unlike yourself that I, if I have like a goal that I'm working towards, it could make this all a little bit more interesting so i signed up for uh for a 5k which uh what's that like three and a half miles something like that yeah yeah 3.1 uh, 3. yeah, yeah. 3.1 so i did a, i did a 5k and um and uh and again it, it wasn't uh, easy but i finished it and that kind of felt good and so then for, i think maybe a few months down the road i signed up for uh for for a 10k and then uh then after that i kind of felt like i was moving in the right direction so then i signed up for a half marathon which was in uh, long beach california this was in 2005 and so so for that one i i tried to be very as systematic as i could cuz i knew it was going to be this huge uh endeavor and so i i think i think i kind of started out where my my foundation of 
what I could do endurance wise was roughly around, well, I guess a 10 K so it would have been like six miles or so. Mm-hmm. And then I, so then every Saturday I, I would, I would try to build on that. So I would add a mile. So I'd run seven miles. Then the next Saturday run eight miles and do that until uh, leading up to, to the half marathon. And I think by the time I got to the half marathon, I think I had, um, I think I had successfully done right around uh, 11 or, or 12 miles. Um, similar to yourself, because you kind of write about it in the book, going into your first marathon, you hadn't actually done 24, uh, was it 24.2 miles? Uh, 26.2. 26.2. Right? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cheat yeah. you two miles. Oh, so, that's okay. That's so, okay. yeah. So, uh, and then so I, I went into the half marathon fully thinking that, you know, the next step was going to be a, a marathon. And it was, it was a, it was both a, a wonderful experience. And as you, as you explained, just a, a, a grueling and, and, uh, in, in my case, physically, physically painful. Cause one thing that happened was I, I'd got these running shoes at this, at a running store and I completely uh, at, uh, was completely at the mercy of the, uh, of the guy at the running store who, um, I, I don't think he sold me a bag of goods uh, at all. I think a bill of goods. I think he, he, he was very knowledgeable. He was actually, I think he was running like a three, uh, he was training for running a three marathons in three days, something crazy like mm. that. Um, so, um, so one thing he said is to get, uh, shoes that are slightly bigger. Cause, uh, cause when you're running your sweet feet might swell up a little bit. And then right. I got some, uh, special, I guess, running socks, whatever they were made of. So because my shoes were just slightly bigger, uh, there was a, the, the, the back of the shoe, there was just the, the, the faintest amount of friction at the, at the back of my heel, mm-hmm. which, which wouldn't be a big deal, except over the course of 13 miles, it ultimately, you know, just wore down my, my heels and just, they were just like burning and bleeding. And I was like, well, that doesn't feel good. And then right. my, uh, my hips, I, I can only imagine you can I, I relate to all of this. My, my, my hips were just, um, just, just killing me and my knees and my, my ankles. And I remember I got to right around the, I think I was right around the, the, the 10 mile mark. I, I think I ran as many as 10 miles before, um, um, uh, before I couldn't run anymore. In fact, because I, my, one of my goals is I wanted to run the whole way, even if I was running just super slow, I wanted to run the whole way. And I think I was about 10 miles when my body made a decision for me. And I was, I was, I, I found myself walking and said, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. So mm-hmm. I, I was walking for a while and then I just was right. I'd hit my wall at around 11 or 12 miles where, um, the, the physical agony, I was just convinced I wasn't going to get to the finish line. And I was thinking, well, if I just, if I just stop here, if I just stop here and collapse, somebody would certainly get me, wouldn't they? Like a, they would send a helicopter or something. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and I think the idea that I don't think anybody's going to get me, I think the only way I can rest is I, I have to figure out a way to get to the finish line. So, so I eventually finished the race. Uh, I think the half marathon took me somewhere in the area of, 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 of four hours and then I then I collapsed, and I thought, you know, as as much as I wanted my goal to be a marathon, if I feel like this after thirteen, I can't even imagine doubling it. So, so that's why I have just just the utmost respect for people who do distance run, running, especially folks like yourself who not only run marathons but run multiple marathons. In your case, thirty five by the age of thirty five. So, um, absolute respect to to you and what you've done as a as a marathon runner. Oh, well, thank you. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, um, hearing your story about your shoes, especially, I, I, um, I used to work at a running store years ago and I learned all kinds of fun tips and tricks when it comes to, uh, lacing. 
And there's certain things you can do with lacing that will actually tighten the, the feel around your uh, around your ankle, um, and and without having that friction because that is a big concern and that happens a lot. And so there's all kinds of little things that you know it's 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 about the comfort and you want to feel okay and want to do it because running is all about just building it. You know, it's just building a foundation and every day, you know, not to jump in things too quickly and um, because you know we we need to our bodies need to you know adapt and get used to that. And so it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, definitely a process. I think, you know, it's, uh, not, not easy, but, but we are, you know, we're all built to, built to do it. It's just, it's just how fast and how long we go. That's up to us. But yeah, it sounds like I could have used you back in 2005 with a couple of, uh, I know. (laughs) Well, Hey, you know, if you get back into it, you just let me know. Like give me some tips. No problem. 100%. 100%. I think, I think the, the, the memory of the agony generally drives me away, but should the day come that, uh, that I'm right. ready to give it another go, I will absolutely I'll absolutely give you a call. Uh, one thing that I can say for, sure, for, for certain, uh, both about my, my, my high school years in, in wrestling and also um, the, the, the time that I spent uh, actively running, is there really are in sort of a, in, in, in sort of a, uh, a corny home uh, homespun way. I, for me, there really were a lot of connections and inspirations drawn from pushing myself physically and and learning just how much I was capable of of doing and you know reaching a point where I didn't think I could do anymore. But then I kept going and then just mentally realized, oh my god, I had no idea that I could do that mm-hmm. when when all I wanted to do was stop. And for me specifically, that absolutely translated into my writing. So even the writing, it's not about physical endurance. There's definitely a certain level of of mental and creative endurance, especially with you know writing a book. When I think when I was working on my my first book, there's absolutely those moments where you know it just seems too much, too overwhelming. It, you know, I'm never going to get to the finish line. Um, but just the memory of what I was able to accomplish, and you know, uh, physically, both in wrestling and running. Uh, just kind of let me know that you know what 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 I could do, and again, even talking about it, I feel corny talking about it, but it's all very genuine. So, um, mm-hmm. so I wonder if, if you drew some of those, those some of those those some same inspirations from your running when you started working on your book. Oh, definitely. I think that that's uh, that's also kind of what what I figured. You know, the correlation was was so sincere is that you know it's 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 all endurance. You know, writing a book is certainly an endurance effort because it's not only just when when you're done with your first and second draft, it's everything after that. It's everything you know, you know, sending it out and getting it revised and coming back and just just to process with it. And and that's you know, some days are good, some days are not so good. You know, some things you love, you you, you know, you love the way your sentences sound, and some days you're just like, what is going on? And um, I think that that's you know, so much in what we do and everything in life, but certainly you know, in running and in and in fitness in general, it's just it's practice, it's getting your body, you know building muscle memory. And that's really what I found with writing too, is um, especially the last few years, I've been trying to be an ultimate student of writing and um, what everyone you know, that I've read have said is, you know, writers need to read. And so my reading has just grown exponentially the past few years because um, that's what you need to do. You know, you need to practice, you know, reading other writers and, and just spending time with words and, and, and figuring out, you know, what, what does, you know, work well for others and work well for you and, and just, um, so, and that's the same thing, you know, with, with running, with exercising is you have to do it and you have to be open to different opinions and what other people do and just figuring yourself out. And some days are great and some days are not so great and that's okay. You know, it's all part of the process and it doesn't stop 
any time really. <laughs> you know, the finish line after after a finish line, it's like that's great. Like I, I have this uh, sort of my my um, sort of mantra or message is is something called the goal cycle, and that's you know you set a goal, you know whatever that is. If that's you know running a marathon, and then you you know you you spend all you know weeks or months preparing for that goal. You know you run and you train and you your nutrition improves and all those things, and then the day comes and you you run the race and that's that's great or that's not so great whatever it is you cross the finish line and you're excited and you take a moment to to have reward in that and then also you know the couple days after that after the race is run is you know sit back evaluate what you've done you know what what worked what didn't work take what you've learned and then you set another goal so it's this constant cycle and that's something that i think you know we can use for every part of life you know whether it's you know it's it's jobs it's learning new recipes it's sewing sweaters I and mean, you know whatever it is it's constantly you know learning learning what we're what you know what our processes are and and you know setting a goal and then just you know following through with it and knowing that when you're done it's not really done okay what's next you know let's let's constantly try to strive for something else and learn new things about ourselves and other people and just be open to it all because um, we can do so much, you know, just, you know, physically, it's amazing what we can accomplish. And also, you know, you know, intelligent wise, I mean, just academically what, what everyone can contribute. I just think it's, it's phenomenal. So um, I think it is important for, for people to, to push themselves because our, our potentials are, 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 are exponential, you know, who knows what we can do. Yeah. That's so wonderful. Everything that, everything that you're doing is so very inspirational from from the running and then and then writing about it and uh, I, I I know that uh, what you've done both the uh, running these thirty five marathons and I'm sure thirty five and counting uh, and then you're writing a book about it I I have no doubt that, uh, that this book it's uh it's gonna enjoy a, a very very long life in the consciousness of, of readers and runners I think because uh, uh, again uh, you know the, the book it's um you 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 recently published it right it's it's a, it's a pretty new book yeah. Yes, I published it in October this past October. So. Okay, so yeah, it's only it's only a few months old, and um, and I just you know I I like I know that uh, just just years from now you're still going to be talking about the book and doing interviews about the book, and people are going to be inspired by this book for a very very long time. So you should be very wow. proud of yourself, knowing that the sort of inspiration that you've you've generated both in what you've done. And what you've written about, and, and even publishing a book—I mean, I mean, it's—we haven't talked about it, but just publishing a book is—it's—it's it, its own victory, and it, it has its own challenges and, and grueling moments. So even doing that is it, all of that is is very—it's it, just one more chapter in what I'm learning is a very very uh, impressive life. So I'm, this is a, an amazing conversation. Um, oh, before, you we, so before we before uh, we oh, it's my pleasure, and I mean all of it. I mean it genuinely. Um, uh, in your book, you make a reference to, uh, it's a bit of a non sequitur, but I wouldn't forgive myself for not bringing it up. Uh, you make a reference to glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Yes. And, um, I, I, you, you also make, make mention of, uh, children of the eighties, which I am, but that even more than that, I was, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't think you would be going too far to say that I was obsessed with professional wrestling growing up. And, and some might mm-hmm. say that I'm still obsessed as a, as a grown, as a grown up. But part of my obsession included watching uh, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling on Saturday afternoons. So That's right, um, <laughs> me too. Uh, so good. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, what, what, uh, uh, 
because because your book wasn't about that, but the reference was in there. And I have no idea what your involvement was, but I would love to hear anything, whether it was just watching it or if you were actually wrestling. I would love to know anything. So go ahead and tell me about oh, Glow. Yeah. So first of all, I was, again, like yourself, my brother and I, Peter, we would, we would watch you know, when it was the WWF. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's how back, how back far it goes. And uh, I, was a, I was a big Jake the Snake fan. Oh, yeah. um, that was, he was sort of my, my number one, I think, back then. But, uh, and, then, and then with Glow, and Glow didn't really last for very long. It I mean, it was yeah. only on, I think, for, for a little while. And I sort of forget anyone in particular, but I remember this large Hawaiian woman who sort of <laughs> yes. dominated. Um, but anyway, so when I was in college... Uh, we started glow all started with with my group of friends um one as as these things usually come about uh one call summer summer evening where we were having a few alcoholic beverages <laughs> and uh we just decided to just start wrestling each other and so um that was just a just a normal you know fun fun night we were in you know just normal clothes and then we figured you know this is not something that just ended one evening we thought okay let's amp it up a notch and, you know, and I think, I think I might've been the one who brought up glow, but I forget it somehow came up. And so what we ended up doing was we went to, you know, the local Salvation Army and got outfits and, um, had, we, we came up with names and taglines and the whole nine yards. So my, my, my name, my wrestling name was Titanica because, and my tagline was your heart won't go on. <laughs> um, because of, you know, the spleen beyond my heart would want. Because at the time in college, I was one of those crazy girls who saw the movie Titanic nine times in the theater. <laughs> I was just obsessed. So my outfit was like this I, uh, blue, uh, blue tights and then like this old blue dress. And I even, I even found a, um, a life preserver. So I had a life preserver and this thing where this bolo tie of a, um, of a heart that I colored blue for the Lakota in there. Anyway. And so there were about, uh, there were about seven of us, my friends, and we all had different names, with different, you know, different taglines. And we put on basically, I would say sort of two quote unquote shows, if you will, uh, where we, you know, just kind of had a party and invited friends over and we would wrestle in our outfits. Um, <laughs> and so we did that two times and it was just, and actually the the, uh, yeah, the, the, the second time, the last time we did it was the week before my first marathon. So, you know, it was right after I graduated from college and um, you know, going off and just wrestling like crazy with my friends. And it was really, really a, a good time. But we uh, probably not the best thing to do. I wouldn't <laughs> recommend that before your first race. And clearly I, I had a bit to drink that night. And um, I don't do that anymore as far as before races. I definitely try to keep my body as clean as possible. But it was really, really fun and definitely a, a wonderful memory so, of, uh, of, of my college years. That, that so, sounds yeah. like the most fun. I, I don't know how we weren't hanging out growing up since we were about 10 minutes apart. I know. I know. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I, I think the, the wrestler you were referencing, I think that was Mountain Fiji, but I'm not, a, I'm not yes. 100%. Yeah? Okay. Exactly. That is correct. Oh, great. Good call. Yep. <laughs> yep. She was great. There, there, there's a, a wonderful documentary about Glow. I don't know if you've seen it. No. Yeah, it's, it's just called Glow, the Story of the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. It uh, came out in 2012. Um, I saw it on Netflix. It might still be there. It is. It, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those documentaries that if you've never, ever heard of Glow, you would still love it. But if you actually mm-hmm. watched it, you will just be just just you'll be awash a in nostalgia. It's wonderful. Oh, that's great. Well, I have, you know, obviously just respect for any sort of, you know, athlete on any level that, you know, especially one that takes it to 
to you know the extreme or to the to the utmost. So I love watching any sort of documentaries when it comes to that because it's just you know it's just phenomenal. So um, I appreciate that. That's great. Definitely Absolutely. Check that out. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. Then we'll have to we'll have to talk about it. I'll bring you back just so we can talk about Glow. <laughs> Perfect. That sounds good. Uh, before we before we uh, wrap up here, um, do you have any plans to write a, a novel? Do you have interest in in fiction? Or are you sort of a, see yourself as a as a nonfiction writer? You know, I, it's funny. I always thought that I was a fiction writer, um, and the more that I am uh, really sort of developing my voice, um, I really I really love writing nonfiction. I feel like that's definitely my wheelhouse. Um, I am kind of fiddling around with a couple ideas for screenplays and. Um, I probably will write something, but mm-hmm. it's going to be, I think, just, I don't know, super cheeseball probably and fun and romantic <laughs> if I do. Um, but I really do love writing the nonfiction stuff. And, and actually, what I am doing right now is I'm sort of starting or in the throes of developing a documentary um, that I plan to kind of take the next year and a half to really develop. So that's uh, that's kind of my, my next main. And, and, and along with that, uh, I also want to write a book about it. So uh, that's sort of the, the next big project is to kind of get that, get that going. Um, but, uh, but I do love, you know, I love poetry and I love writing it, you know, a little romantic story here or there. So that might, uh, I'll probably, you know, post little fun little short stories on my blog here or there in the next, you know, few years or get stuff out there that way. But I do think that nonfiction is, is kind of my, pretty much my strength. So I'll probably keep with that for a while. Yeah, that's cool. And, and you know, within within creative nonfiction, there is va- vast amounts of, of room to be creative and to still uh, to tell very, very uh, engaging stories and still be a creative writer within the world mm-hmm. of, of nonfiction. So if that's if that's where your comfort zone is, you know, certainly don't feel like you have to, you know, um, to, to write fiction to feel like you're, you're, you're engaging as a, as a storyteller. I mean, some of my very favorite books are, are creative nonfiction, are memoirs. It's, it's, it's a, it's a genre that I absolutely, absolutely love. Um, but you know, of course, by the same token, if you've got a novel in you, then, then, uh, certainly, uh, explore that and don't even worry about second guessing yourself about, uh, if it's, cheesy or what somebody might think because you know chances are it's oh. going to be wonderful anyway um yeah. and yeah having written having having run 35 marathons i don't doubt that uh, whatever you decide to do will happen so um i, yeah. I don't suspect that the word probably comes up very much uh when you're setting goals yes no that's definitely well it's always always nice to put something out there and, and uh i think that you know no matter what with any sort of writing you know, I just love, it's interesting, just, just any, any any good writing on any genre, I think is just amazing. So, you know, even a, a quality, you know, written textbook is, is thrilling if someone knows how to write it correctly. So uh, I just think that's, 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 that's fun to learn more about all of that, you know. Absolutely. Uh, well, listen, Taryn, it's been a, a wonderful pleasure speaking with you. Uh, before we wrap up, is there uh, in, in, anything you want to anything you want to share, or maybe if uh, if there's a way that uh, listeners can either contact you or learn about you, uh, how, how might they do that? Uh, yes. So probably the best way is um, you can go to my my website, which is uh, TarynSpates.com. and on there right now, I actually have uh, in my blog. I've been updating my blog every week with. Um, with my uh, my current uh, sort of progress with uh, training for an upcoming Ironman I'm doing. I'm going to be racing an Ironman triathlon uh, in three weeks in Lake Placid, New York. So I sort of go through uh, every week just kind of a kind of a no holds barred sort of lessons of 
what happens every week of, of this training process, um, which is the first Ironman I've actually trained for uh, while working full-time. And again, even though my, my schedule is pretty amazing, it's still, I don't have all the time in the world to train for an Ironman. So it's uh, just putting putting all that, you know, time management and all that in there. So I would say definitely com, and in there there's a contact page, and I'd love to hear from anybody um, and everyone. Uh, you can reach out to me that way, and and again, my, my book is available on Amazon as both an ebook and a paperback. And um, also, uh, uh, you can you can contact me directly, and I send you a, a signed copy. What whatever anyone would like, we'll get it in their hands. Well, well, that's uh, terribly generous of you. And uh, and again, it was just a really really great pleasure speaking with you, uh, Taryn. And I'm so happy that uh, that you had time to be on the show with me. Yes, no, thank you so much. It's just, it's just an absolute. Absolute dreams. I, I really appreciate the invitation. It's great. Thank you so much. And there you have it. That was my conversation with memoirist and runner and Emmy Award winner Taryn Spates. And uh, and you know we learned a great many things because I I just you know again to give you guys to pull back the curtains just a little bit because I did as I did at the beginning. Did I say a little bit? I meant a little bit. Um, I, uh, I, I just finished talking with Taryn just, uh, just, just a few minutes ago. And, uh, and so, so we, 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 we learned a great many things. Um, as I mentioned in my introduction, there was a few things that I definitely wanted to talk with Taryn about. And, uh, and as I also mentioned in my introduction that, uh, it, it's always my hope going into a conversation that, um, that the conversation will will uh, lead into directions that uh, that uh, that I wasn't aware of that uh, that I that I did not come across in in my research and preparation, and that was most definitely the case with with Taryn, amongst other things. Um, uh, based on my research, I knew that she'd won an Emmy Award, but I had no idea that she worked in uh, in visual effects or that she was a producer in that way. <coughs> also learned that she's. Uh, that she's done a lot of work with uh, with Tyler Perry, which is uh, which is very cool. Um, so you know uh, that was a, that was a really wonderful conversation, and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it uh, just as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. So that was a uh, that was a lot of fun. Taryn is a uh, is, is just just delightful, a very very delightful guest, and I look forward to having her back on the show one of these days. Uh, to talk about anything, really anything she wants to talk about, um, I loved I loved chatting with her. Um, let's see. Anything else as we wrap up here? Uh, I guess just as a reminder, go get yourself a copy of Taryn's book, 35 by 35, A Runner's Quest, which you can get on Amazon.com. Just make sure you go through the website first, go to the shop page, click the Amazon banner, and get that book. Uh, also, um, for those of you who are possibly listening to the show for the very first time, maybe you're a fan of Terrence Spates, and for that reason you decided to listen to this episode, and it's your first introduction to the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour, I want to thank you for, for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and I hope you enjoyed yourself enough that maybe you'll go back and listen to other episodes. Uh, I've interviewed many many authors, maybe you'll like that. Uh, I referenced uh, my interview with with uh, Jared Poyava, which was episode twelve. So you can always go back and uh, and listen to to that one. That's us. Uh, we had a nice conversation, Jared and I. Uh, and you know, and if you find that you're uh, really enjoying the show, then I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or at uh, Stitcher Radio, which you'll find at Stitcher.com. 
Uh, or just, just go to the website, martinlestrapshow.com. Every episode is available. Either way, as long as you're listening, I'm very, very happy to have you as, as part of the audience. Um, and if you are enjoying the show, I would love it if you'd go onto iTunes and, uh, and leave a review. That would actually mean a great deal to me. So, so that would be, uh, that'd be wonderful. And I guess that'll do it. Uh, that'll do it for this week's episode, for episode number 125. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Taryn Spates. I also hope that you enjoyed uh, me pulling back the curtains a little bit and giving you a little bit of insight into, uh, into the process of producing a podcast episode. And uh, next week, I'm not exactly sure what I'll be doing next week, but, uh, but whatever it is, my, my hope is that uh, it will be worth your time and, uh, and ear space. I just coined that, hashtag ear space, uh, to, to listen to it. So, so either way, have a wonderful week. And until next time, I will see you on the other side.